Good morning. This, this group's a little more awake than the, the first hour. That's great. If you will, I'm, I'm starting a, a little bit of a series on, on community and community growing together in oneness. I really want to take some time and kind of look at that. And this morning, what I'd like for us to do is take our Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 22 and 33. I would like to just kind of read those kind of as a launching point talking about who Jesus is within regards to the body. In chapter one of Ephesians, in verse 22, it says, and he, that's referring to God, if you were to look at the context, and we're reading really the end of a, of a long sentence in the Greek. The sentence really begins back in verse 15, but I just wanna focus on these last two verses for right now. In verse 22, it says, and he, God, put all things under his, Jesus, under his feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And this, this passage is, has kind of been striking me for uh, some time now as I look at this because it says several things in regards to, to Christ and the church. Number one, it says he's the head. And number two, he says, we're the body. Uh, we, we are the body of Christ. And it says his fullness, where the fullness of him fills all in all. I'm referring to the filling, and I believe, of Christ in the church. One of the things, and I just went to Tanzania, and I wanted to share a little bit this morning about that. But when I went to Tanzania, and many of you were praying for me, and, and I made it very clear that I was not real excited about the, the air trip there, you know, because I knew I'd be on the plane. A few years ago, I had gotten on a plane and, and we weren't even pulled out away. And all of a sudden I was sitting there going, I got to get off this plane. So I was really worried. Like, what do you do when you're on a plane and you're like over the ocean and you feel like you have to get off the plane? So I was really kind of nervous about that. And what was amazing is that many of you did pray. And, and, and the reason I was going was because Christ is the head. He is my Lord. He is my savior. And I believe God sent me, wanted me to go to Tanzania, so I went. And so I had to trust him to meet those fears, to meet those things. And I can remember the day before I got onto the plane, it was Saturday, we were leaving early Sunday morning. I remember getting on the day before, all of a sudden realizing, wow, I have this tremendous peace. It was just, just it was only the peace that God gives, you know? I just had this piece about the plane fare and the riding on the plane. And one of the things I was asking God to do is give me opportunities to share the gospel. And man, I'm telling you, every leg of the trip, except for really one, and even then I got to spend about an hour and a half at the back of the plane sharing the gospel with this guy from Tanzania that was from Darcells. And I, and I got to, sh to spend time sharing the gospel back there. It was amazing. Everybody that I... I got to sit with except for one and his English wasn't very good or else his accent was just really, really difficult. We just had a hard time communicating even though we tried. But I got the opportunity. I met this lady that was flying back from New York. She had moved from Birmingham or Alabama about 40 years earlier and she had never married, never had children. She was really involved with, in her relationship with God and the church uh, back in Alabama, but when she moved to New York, she had friends, got away from God. And I remember as we were sharing, and we had about an hour on that particular flight, and as we, I was sharing with her, at the end she said, 
God really sent you to me because I kind of walked away from him years ago and I really, I really need to get back right with him and I need to spend time with him. And um, just, I, I could stand here and tell you conversation after conversation. met a guy in the Atlanta airport and just prayed over him and, and um, he's still texting or messaging me with emails. Just, 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 just the opportunities that God gave when we recognize he's the head and we're the servants, right? He's the king, he's the Lord. So on this, on this trip, I spent two nights on an airplane, which was my first time, and that was quite unique. I spent four nights in what they call a hotel in Tanzania. Uh, we were staying in one of the better ones. Um, it didn't have shower curtain. Um, it was just this spot on the floor, and there was some water that came out of a deal, and you, you took a shower and, uh, and kind of a deal. And so I spent four nights, and then I spent 10 nights in these accommodations, if you will, that was my accommodation for 10 nights while I was in Tanzania. I was sleeping in a tent with my brother-in-law. So we, I was on one side, he was on the other, and there were six bags of luggage between us. There really wasn't much room. I didn't take a picture for that reason because uh, it just didn't look very good. Back behind here, um, the whole time we were there in our, in our, in our, in our tent, all night long, they had what they call warriors or guys who were keeping them. We... Our mission doesn't stay in, in town, in the hotel. When we went through the littlest town, we would still go out another two or three hours out in the bush. In fact, we were going down what I would consider a pretty rough country road. And all of a sudden he turned and I'm like, there's no road. And he goes, yeah, there is. And I'm like, what we call a hiking trail, they call a road. I mean, they just started going down there where they herd their cattle and stuff. And, and we were literally going across the, the bush, if you would, and just traveling um, to get to this spot. But back here, along this, there was a guy that was always watching. The first night I got out of my tent and I went to the bathroom, uh, when I came back, my brother-in-law like, did you hear the hyenas? And I was like, uh, no. Um, so I, I asked the Africans about it and they said, oh no, they're way off. But I later found out that wasn't necessarily true either. But they had guys that were, were, were protecting us, if you will. This kind of next picture kind of shows us kind of what the, the city looks like, uh, our tent city. Uh, this is where we went to the, to the restroom at. If you go to the next slide. This is our restrooms. This was in the second village, not the first one. It was, this one was a little greener and more lush. But yeah, this is the women's. You can see the, the W and there's an M over here. And basically, if you went in the middle of the night, it was amazing to see God's creation uh, in the restroom. So that was, that was a little unique. They, in, in, in Tanzania, they call these uh, chos. They're not bathrooms, they're chos. So uh, as Americans, we made up all kinds of songs with the word cho. Um, so anyway, if you go to the next slide. So we get up in the mornings and uh, we would just find people there. We're, this picture was taken probably about an hour before we were, we were starting. Uh, if you notice the two buildings, these were schools. There was another two buildings. There was four buildings in this, in this particular uh, village. Uh, when the villages, they build their school buildings and then all the kids from the area come to the, come to the schools. And so in, in the month of June, they don't have school. So that's why we were able to go in and use them as a, as, as a mission. And so in the mornings, go to the next one and <clears throat> we would just find people. This is not very many people. Um, in the week, we had 4,800 people that came through our clinic. And literally, we'd get up in the mornings and they'd just be there. Go ahead and go to the next one. This was our children's ministry. We had about 500 kids that came to the children and they crammed in this first village. I think there's about 200, a little over 200 that they were cramming into the room. Here they were standing on tables and singing. And I mean, it was just, it was just amazing. Kids just kept coming all day long. Go ahead and go to the next. 
This was our evangelism room. So what happens is, like I said, we had 4,800 people that would come through in the week. So they would go to the evangelism room, the first room. This particular day, I was sharing the gospel in there. And this was, uh, this, was this room. So they'll, they'll fill, fill it all up. We had, while we had the evangelism room going on at nights, we had two teams that would go out with the Jesus film and show the Jesus film in, in, area, in the different villages. So in the week that we were there, we had 4,800 people that went through our evangelism rooms here in the two weeks. And then we had about 8,000 people that went that saw the Jesus film. So, in the, so it was over 12,000 people in the two weeks that we were able to, able to see. And, and decisions for Christ that were made was about 3,225 is what they counted during those two weeks. It was really amazing. Praise God, yes, absolutely. absolutely. I spent, a, I spent a lot of my time talking about the Holy Spirit sealing us and keeping us in the body because the witch doctors in the area have, have a lot of power to the, the people and what they believe. So they believe sometimes if a witch doctor talks to them, the spirit just leaves. So we spent a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit, the, the sealing of the Holy Spirit and who's our guarantee of our inheritance where John 10, 10, that, um, that no one removes us from the Father's hand. One of the things they do and what's going on in this picture is this. Oh, go back, please. In this picture right here, Pastor Johanna, he's, uh, he's going around, he's getting names. We, we had several people accepted Christ. They come to the front and we pray with them and then they'll sit down. And he's collecting names of these folks, people that accepted Christ. They gather those names and at the end of the week, they give them to our pastors. It was at our pastor's conferences. And, they'll, and they go out and they'll meet these folks. And a lot of times they end up starting a new church in that particular area because there's people that are willing to get together and, uh, and, and have the Bible study. Okay, go ahead in the next one. This is Pastor Johanna. You just saw him there. I love this preacher. He always dressed really bright. But one of the things about him, he had a heart for evangelism. He had a heart for the Lord. And I remember one day after I was sharing in there, he walked out and he put his arm around me. He's like, you know, you know, you know, Pastor Greg said, this is the most important thing we do here. We have all these people coming for medical and all, but he said, this is the most important thing. This is, impacts people for eternity. He's a man who loves God with all of his heart. Go ahead, go to the next slide. This was in our clinic. Um, this is Dr. Jones. He's filling out. What happens is when these folks come, they go to the evangelism room. The ladies will go to the uh, hi women's hygiene where we teach them about hygiene. A lot of times, if you can teach the, the mother or the, the wife, then it really impacts the whole family. And so from there, they go to triage. And triage, they get their hats, many of the hats that you all uh, knitted and that we took. We took about, I think, 1,500 combined from all of our churches. Um, it doesn't last more than a couple of days. We see so many people. Um, and then in triage, they get glasses and they begin to mark down their symptoms. Then they come to the clinic and they'll sit here. Well, I'm sorry. Wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> go back, go back. So they see the doctor. The doctor begins to write down um, what, what medicines they're needing based on their ailments that they have. Then they'll go to the pharmacy. They take that piece of paper and they'll go to the pharmacy and they will fill those, those uh, meds in the bags for them. And then they'll go, go to the next slide. And then she always kind of made sure and verified all the meds and she handed it out the window. It was, our, it was a Tanzanian drive-thru is really what it was. But anyway, she hands them out the window and then the next picture, if you will, you can see where... Uh, this lady's receiving her meds, and then here's two translators who are translating and, and explaining what to do and how to take the meds and what was, what was involved there as well. So it was quite a process, and, and our, you know, it usually took us a day to, 
to, to set up camp and then about a half a day to take down the camp. So we were in, in the camp those, and then the fifth day we, would, we were heading off to the next, next village. So there was, there was really about three and a half days in each village that we did these clinics. And if you add that, if you multiply that out, that's a lot of people every day that we were seeing to, to get that many people. Okay, go ahead to the next village. Uh, I came out of a teaching and walking, this lady walks up with this chicken. I, I just think that's funny. She walks up to this, with this chicken and she's trying to sell me this chicken and she's telling me she will, uh, um, she, you know, she was doing the motions that she'd take care of the chicken and get it ready for dinner that night, you know? And uh, I was like, no, no. <laughs> but it was just hilarious. But that's how they make their living. An average Tanzanian lives on about $120 a month is what they live on and this is the ways. So a lot of times when we saw people, we tried to buy things from them because it helped their way of living. Go ahead, next one. Uh, in the evenings we did devotions and this one particular evening we taught the Tanzanians about s'mores, uh, which was quite an interesting experience. Uh, they never really had done any of that. Uh, this guy right here, he's not really sure what to do about this flaming uh, marshmallow on the end of his stick, but, um, but we were teaching him. What was interesting is when we first did it, I was trying to get him all to come on and grab the stick. Well, the, the men in the Maasai tribe would not, would, not, would not move. And then finally someone explained to me that in the Maasai tribe, the women do not allow the men in the kitchen. And since they cook a lot off of fires, the men were looking at that as being a kitchen, so they weren't allowed in there. Well, they finally discussed and determined this technically wasn't a kitchen, so then they got there and were able to make their s'mores, which is, was kind of interesting, you know. I never even thought, I'm like, come on, let's go. And he's standing there like, gee, what am I doing, you know, taking them off and have no idea about their different cultures. Go to the next one. Well, in that first village, we were able to, to go up and do a hike around the, where our tents were, and we were able to visit uh, uh, some, some homes. And in this particular case, the man had two or three of these huts. And at night, they, this is how I found out the hyenas really were close. At night, he brings his goats and his cows inside to, to protect them from the hyenas that are in the area, which I'm like, from where I'm standing and where I was sleeping, it's like uh, from here, maybe the other side of CVS. We weren't that far away. So all of a sudden I went, oh, those are hyenas. I mean, the Africans have gone, oh, no, they're far, far away. And I'm like, uh, maybe not. And even after seeing this, um, but this was a grandfather. And if you go to the next slide, he had, uh, he had his grandchildren staying with him because he was close to the school. And uh, these, grand, these children had never seen a white person uh, before, especially in their home. And so they were very cautious with this. You can see this one here is holding a, uh, a, a sucker. And in, in, in candy and in, in Swahili and Tanzania, you say pee-pee. So um, I carry candy all the time. So, you know, you're trying to go pee-pee, pee-pee. You know, you're, you're saying candy, candy. But it was really hard for us Americans to go pee-pee, pee-pee. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we would throw candy out of the windows of the bus yelling, pee pee, you know, it was just, it was hilarious. But these kids, the only way they even came close, and I mean, literally I was handing candy like this, and they're, they're kind of like this, was, uh, was, uh, was because of the candy. Uh, go ahead. This is one of the, the towns that we stopped in. This is a very small town. This is actually a pretty good road here, just to give you an idea what it was like. I always, go ahead and go to the next one. I uh, this is how some of the ladies made, made money cooking food. The road's right here, dust is flying up, but that was, and, and if you can see, I don't know, she has a little rock there trying to keep it flat. It was just the, in the way they made a living. Go ahead and go to the next one. Um, they sold food and so forth as well along the, along the road. Um, go ahead and go to the next one. 
One of the things about the Tanzanians is they love to sing. They sing everywhere. They sing to call you in. Um, I, Alan made a kind of, he abbreviated a, uh, a song for me. Go ahead and play that if you would. I'll just give you an idea. When the Tanzanian sings, everybody sings, everybody gets involved. If they're not, they'll call you out. I mean, they just, they have no problem. They have no problem. Uh, the song was about digging a hole. God, God made man, made, and I, I could never get all the, the, the words with them, but man made something and so forth, and devil made sin, so we dig a hole and we bury him in it. So when they're jumping, they're pounding the ground down to put the devil away. So it was, it was, pretty, it was pretty interesting. I asked him, well, what's the la, 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 mm, and he just said melody. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So I don't know. Um, but you just joined in. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This was our pastor's conference. You can see some of the hats that we took that we gave out to the pastors. We were able to get, he, he has his old pair. We were able to get him a new pair of glasses. He could hardly read. Go ahead and go to the next. Um, we were able to hand out Bibles in Swahili and concordances in Swahili. We had 52 pastors in the first village and 40, uh, 59, I'm sorry, in the first village, 42 in the second village. Uh, we only were able to take 80 Bibles and 30 concordances, so we divided them between the two cities, and we weren't able to give everyone. If a pastor showed up, which is, did happen where a pastor showed up, he had no Bible. You ask him, well, how do you pastor? You know, they just said, we tell them people what Jesus has done for us. We share the gospel, and we, we tell them. So when we're giving them the Bibles, I mean, they're just, you know, they're just, I mean, just the motion is unreal because now they have a Bible in their hand and we were giving them some resources. So next year, I pray we're able to take more. Go ahead and go to the next. This is myself, my brother-in-law and our translator. Uh, those are shukas they gave us. It's kind of their gift at the end of the week. And now we became part of their tribe. So that was pretty neat. And go ahead and go to the next. I wanted to share about these pastors. This is Pastor Paul. In fact, right before I took this, uh, this picture with Pastor Paul, Pastor Paul came up, and this is really, I think, on our last day in that village. Pastor Paul came up to me and said, pray for me. He said, I believe God's put on my heart to start 25 churches. And I was like, man, I said, Paul, Pastor Paul, how do you start these churches? And he goes, just like we do here, we, we'll have a little conference and we'll bring people in, we'll share the gospel or the Jesus film and we'll get those names. We'll go back, we'll start Bible studies and we'll start churches with them. I said, Pastor Paul, have you started some other churches? And actually, somebody had already told me this. He said, yeah. And I said, I hear it's been about 16 churches. And he said, he said, yeah. He said, I've started that many, but I want to get to 25 before I get too old to start. I can't travel anymore. And so uh, just the vision of these men. Uh, this was Daniel and Paul. 
Daniel and Paul came to us and um, um, they had been to the conferences before so they knew my brother-in-law and they come to us at the end here. And in fact, they went home, got their, their church leadership in their, in their denomination there and got them to come and they, they want us to come back next year and do like a four-day conference there in the city. They said, in these villages, you're getting 40, 50, but we can get a couple hundred. And we're like, uh, okay, well, there's certain, you know, and, and they've already sent us pictures. They're building a place for pastors to stay. They're hoping to make a, a, a kind of a training area, learning area. I was, I was actually messaging with uh, Pastor Joseph here yesterday. He was sharing with me what he was preaching today. Uh, well, actually, it would have been about three o'clock in the morning our time, but sharing what he was preaching. It was just, it's just a, it's just a blessing, these men who have such a heart and a compassion uh, for God. And go ahead and go to the next this is out of all my pictures, this is my favorite. Because it, um, because it shows unity. Before I went to um, Tanzania, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about what is community? What does that look like? What does the church look like? I mean, to be honest with you folks, I mean, you could probably go online this morning and hear a better sermon than you're gonna get here, right? You probably go online and hear better music. I love you, Matt. I know I said that earlier, but I still love you. Better music than you can hear here, right? But what is it that you, you don't get? Why is it that we come together? It's because of community. At the beginning of the two weeks, I, I, I noticed when I was doing devotions, the Afri- we were standing in a circle and the Africans were on this side and the Americans were on this side. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. Let's start. Let's, let's go across. And there were some, some issues there of, of their different backgrounds and so forth and ours and how do we look at, well, we have a commonality. It's, it's Jesus Christ, isn't it? He's the head of the church, isn't he? Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so, <clears throat> so there was one time where I got them all together. It was in Philippians 1.27 where it says, one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So I brought up some Tanzanians and I brought up some Americans. I had us all lock arms. And I said, this week, it's not because we would refer to the African team and we refer to the American team. And I said, it's not an African team and it's not an American team. It's God's team. We are one team. We are one people. We are the people of God. And so when I look at this, this just brings such great joy because when you look at it, you really kind of have to spend a minute or two to start finding out who, where the Americans are and the Tanzanians are. That when the walls begin to break down and the unity begins to take place, that we begin to see when he says, and, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. For a couple of years now, and I know the different ones and some of the staff has heard me talking about, I've really been talking about Trinity and what does the Trinity look like? I mean, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Which one's more important? Well, they're all equal, but yet they're one. And, it's, and we always look for those illustrations to try to begin to be able to try to comprehend in our, in our finite minds the infinality of who our God is and what, what that unity and what that oneness looks like. And one day I was reading a year or so ago and, and I was reading and it says, and a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall be as one. Same, same concept. 
And I remember thinking about that and thinking about even my own relationship with my wife. Now, look, I can't speak on her behalf. I have my own garbage, okay, that I deal with, my own issues. But I began to think about our, our relationship, that we're to be, we're to be one, two, and, and as one. And yet, my wife and I are, are, are different from night and day. Our personalities, I like, to be, I like a lot of balls in the air and lots of things going on. My wife just wants one. You know, that's, that's just what she can control, right? And so the differences of us sometimes, sometimes creates conflict. And this year, we're going to be 35 years married. Praise God, right? And I'm still learning what oneness looks like, that God intended for us to be, to be one. But so many times I begin to realize my own depravity keeps me from understanding what that oneness looks like. My own insecurities that, that sometimes get expressed in, in aggression or sometimes gets expressed in anger or sometimes gets in, expressed with, with not being patient because you have to process. I already know what I want to do. And if I kick down the door and it's the wrong door, I don't care. I'll go to the next door. Right? That's just how I do things. And my wife is just opposite. But we're one. And as I begin to learn and understand what oneness is, I, I understand why God hates depravity so much. Because I think about Adam and Eve in the garden before sin entered in the garden. Here they were, they were one. And they walked in the garden with God as one. They walked with God and they knew God. And there was a oneness going on between in their relationship. But when sin are in the world, you see shame, you see fear, you see them covering themselves, you see this, all the insecurities of who they are all of a sudden invade, and we to this day still fight that. We still, we still battle that even in our own intimate relationships with our, with our own wives and our own husbands and our own spouses, that, that we begin to understand what that oneness is. Well, it blew my mind. It was about a year ago as I began to think about that. Then I realized, you know what it says in the scriptures? It says there is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one God, Father, who is Father over all, in all, and through all. And all of a sudden, I was like, man, I was just starting to get this, thinking about this marriage relationship and what does oneness look like in this marriage relationship? And all of a sudden, God blows my mind with this, with this aspect of oneness within the body of Christ. How is that, how is that even possible? I mean, I got, a, I got a little taste of it as I, as I look at this picture that by the end of these two weeks, we were operating as one group. But God intends the body because Christ is saying that he is the head over the body and that his fullness fills all in all. In fact, when you look at the context, and I made the comment that this was the last two verses of, of, a, of a sentence in the Greek that began back in verse 15, where Paul says in back in verse 15, for this reason... And he's talking back to chapter one, the first third, verses three through 14, where God describes this amazing salvation, where Paul's describing God's work in that salvation. And you know what he says? That God chose us, Jesus redeemed us, and the Holy Spirit sealed us. And that he's the guarantee of our inheritance. And you see the Trinity involved, and Paul says, for this reason, because of what God has done, and I hear of your faith, and I hear of your love toward all the saints, I do not stop to pray for you. I do not cease to pray for you. That in all wisdom and revelation that God would reveal, God would enlighten, that he would make known to you, that he would enlighten your hearts 
that you would enlighten the eyes of your heart, that your knowledge and your wisdom and understanding who God is, that he would enlighten that, that you may know, and it's the word epigenosis, it's the idea that you would experientially know, and he lists three things. And he says the hope, the hope of the calling which God has called you, that hope of our salvation. He's talking about the past tense, because you have believed that you would understand the essence of that hope. When you lose the hope of your salvation, guess what? The, the world sounds a lot better. All of a sudden, what the world tells us what we need in, in, in life, we think that's what we need instead of hearing God. When we lose our hope. And Paul says, I hope that you understand. And I could spend, by the way, I could spend hours on this and I'm just, I'm just briefly, okay? And he talks about that hope that is ours in Christ because of that calling. And then he goes on, he says, I hope that you understand the riches of the inheritance, what shall be ours when Christ comes, that the Holy Spirit is guaranteed that he sealed you for, that you would understand the riches that is yours in the faith. You know what? I begin to realize that the power of Christ is so important because he goes on and the very next thing he says is that you would understand the immeasurable, immeasurable power of God that is at work towards those believers in according to or like that same power that reached down and rose Jesus from the dead and raised him up and seated him in the heavenlies and put all things under his feet and gave him to the church as the head over the church. That same power works in us. And all of a sudden I begin to realize oneness is possible, people. That the same power that is able to raise Jesus and to, to bring us to Christ, that same power can heal the hurts. It can break down the halty spirit. It can give patience to those who have no patience. It can teach us to be forbearing and forgiving of one another. It begins to teach us that God didn't create the church just so that our needs are met, but rather that he created the church that we might serve one another. That all of a sudden the, the body of Christ becomes a, a whole different image, a whole different picture. That which Christ is the head of. In fact, I believe that, that Paul uses this uh, metaphor of, of the head and the body to bring out some things in relation to how the church is related to, the, to Christ. If you stop and think about it in the context that follows, then Paul walks right into chapter two, where in chapter two he says that we're all, that we're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins and we once lived according to the spirit of this world of the, of the flesh and the desires of the flesh. Did we, did we submit ourselves? But then yet in verse four it says, but in contrast to that, but God steps in, God intervenes. The one who placed all things under Jesus' feet. But God, and he says, who's rich in mercy for by grace you have been saved. Then he goes and he says, hath made you alive. But God made you alive. Isn't it, isn't it important that Jesus would have all things under his feet? For if Jesus was not the authority, if Jesus was not the Lord, how could I be certain of my salvation? How could I be certain of my, of my inheritance? How can I be certain of my hope? if Jesus doesn't have all things put under his feet. You see, my confidence becomes, comes because he is 
He is the head of the body. He has had all things put under his feet. And it totally radically changes how I look at the church. It's his body. And the confidence that we have is that his fullness fills all in all. He fills us and we're filled with Christ. And that when we understand he's our Lord and we walk into the church, the church isn't about us, but it's about the body. And all of a sudden we realize it's not like a a membership at the country club where I pay my dues and I expect certain things in return that I be served, but rather that God has placed me in the body and he's empowered me with his power that I might serve others, that I might pray for others, that I might grow in Christ, that I might learn from him. And if it be so, that I might die for the sake of the gospel. You see, I, I pray with all of my heart, this consumer mentality that's in the church, this consumer Christianity would die because we miss out what Christ wants to do in the church. He goes on after he says all these things and he says in the ages to come, the demonstration of his grace, he goes on, he says, for by grace you've been saved through faith and what? This is not of yourselves, right? Lest anybody should boast. And he goes on and then he says in verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which we have been created for. It's amazing to me. The same terminology used in chapter, in talking about Jesus and raising him up and setting him, he used it in chapter two when he says, not only has God made us alive, but he raised us up and he seated us in the heavenlies so that we might do these good works. You see, the primary means by which Jesus works in this world is through the church. I think that's why the head-body metaphor is so important because it reminds us that the method in which God uses in this world to reach others is the church. And when we have a mindset that we come into the church and the church is about us and what the church does for us, we miss out what God is trying to do in our community and in our world. We somehow have to change that thinking, dear people of God. We have to change it. We have yet to really see what God can do through a people of his that are totally devoted to him. To a people that are are setting aside themselves that they might serve God. That God might use them for his glory and his purposes. I also think the head-body relationship, the metaphor of that is also to teach us and expresses what unity or oneness should look like. What, is it, what does it mean, oneness? It still, it still kind of blows me away. I'm still working through this. And every time I read the scriptures, I just kind of get blown away again. Because you go to chapter two, right after, right after Paul describes Christ as being the head over the church, the fullness of him that fills all in all. You know what he talks about? He talks about those darn circumcised and those uncircumcised. Back in the early church, you know what the problem was? The Jews didn't want the Gentiles coming into the church. And there was great hostility. And Paul goes so far to say that by what Jesus did, by the blood of Christ, by the giving of his flesh, by the death of his death, burial, and resurrection, he ripped down the wall that separated the two and brought them together and ended the hostility. He actually uses those words, ended the hostility in chapter two. Read it. Read it. Those who were far off, he called near to him. That we would be of one spirit, one mind, one body. 
You know, I've been in churches where I've experienced tremendous unity and excitement, and I've gone through times where I see, man, there's a lot of negative, and a lot of griping, and a lot of, I've been, I've been involved in both. The reality is, dear people of God, we belong to Jesus. And we really need to be careful about what we say and do in regards to God's people and God's, God's body. We're talking against Jesus. We're not talking against ourselves. We are his people. That's what he goes on and he says, and I'm, I'm gonna end here back in, in chapter two. If you go over chapter two and look at verse 18. It says in verse 18, it says, for through him, that's talking about Jesus, we, have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now notice that, one spirit to the Father. I, earlier I said one Father, and I think it's implied there, but nevertheless, access to one spirit to, to, to the Father Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow Christians with the saints and members of the household of God. You are God's people. We need to get out of this mindset that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Bible church person, I'm a Methodist, I'm whatever. We are God's people. God's people, we are his household. We are no longer strangers, we're no longer, but we're members of, of the house of God built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now listen to this, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom, that's talking about Jesus, in Jesus, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, in Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You hear it? There's the Trinity. There's the Trinity that in Christ, he's building us a, a place for, for a dwelling place for, the God, for our God by the Spirit. There's the Trinity, there's the oneness. And dear people of God, we as believers need to understand and learn oneness. I could spend, I could spend hours on this about what God, is, God has just been showing me in the scriptures about the church. Over the next three or four weeks, I'll be going through this and uh, I've already gone over a few minutes here, but, um, but I, I'm telling you, it is rich. There's gonna be things that none of us are gonna like to hear. There's gonna be things that we're not gonna want. I, 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 I wanna come in and be able to tell you what I don't like about church and what I do as well. You see, one of the things I told the Tanzanians is, is when I came to Africa, I didn't go to Africa to glorify God. I went to Africa because I really believed God wanted me to go. And I glorified him because I listened to him. If God wanted me to stay, I would have stayed and I would have glorified him because I stayed. The key to oneness is beginning to understand that we are his people and what he tells us is the priority. He's our God and we serve him. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that your spirit would speak to us, your people. I pray, God, that those today that are here and they need to be encouraged, I pray, God, they would be encouraged. But I pray, God, that you would break down, the, that you would break down the separation that it so easily happens in a church, Father, among your people. We get offended, we get hurt. Father, we, we hold things. We hold things that we, that we should not hold anymore. That, Father, by the spirit that dwells within us, we, we can quench his power. We don't understand your power as a church. 
Because Father, many, many times we come in and it's so quick the list that we can create of the shortcomings of the church and what we realize is our own hypocrisy. That Father, as we're criticizing the church, we're actually criticizing ourselves. For God, you've called us to be a body. You've called us to oneness. Father, may you teach us to grow in oneness. May you, God, teach us what the blessings of unity is. I get a taste of it. Yeah, it's Father, it's a couple of weeks in, in Tanzania and a different country and so forth. But Father, the reality is it's your spirit that dwells us. It's the same spirit. Father, it's your truth that guides us. It's the same word, same Bible. Father, speak to us, your people. Let us not harbor that we would create division among ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.